Welcome to the Thundercast, your martial athletics podcast produced by the fans, for the fans, with your hosts, Russ Livingood and KD Hudnall. We're bringing you the thundering word on the thundering herd each and every week. So keep it right here. The Thundercast is on the loose. Thanks for downloading another episode of the Thundercast. You follow us on Twitter, Thundercast underscore pod. Uh, please go to the uh, YouTube channel. Subscribe to the Thundercast YouTube channel. We've got a lot of great content that goes on over there, but we also appreciate everybody that just likes to listen to the audio versions as well. So uh, go to Spotify, go to Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe to the show there, so it will automatically alert you when a new episode drops. You don't have to go looking for that weekly tweet of the episode drops. Also, if you would, uh, give us a rating or a review because that really helps with the search results when people are trying to find the show. Um, and share the link directly, if you don't mind, with your fellow Herd fans because, well, we just enjoy doing the show and we think folks enjoy the content that we bring and we want to give that to as many people as we possibly can. Russ, it was an amazingly, unbelievably epic Herd weekend that we alluded to going in, this had the potential to be something very special. And yeah. man, I don't know that special encapsulates what the weekend actually was. So let's get into like all of it, man. Cause I know that I haven't heard your five things. I imagine they're freaking great. Cause how could they not be? Because this weekend was so awesome. Uh, but first a quick word from our sponsors at 304carwreck.com. <laughs> If you've been hurt in a wreck, visit 304carwreck.com on the web or on Facebook. You can't stop a bad driver from crashing into you and making you a victim, but when you're hurt and you try to deal with the insurance companies alone, you set yourself up to be a victim again. Don't be a victim twice. Jason and Matt can't protect you from bad drivers, but they can protect you from the insurance companies. Find them at 304carwreck.com. Where to begin with this unbelievably amazing weekend that for the first time in a long time, um, everything seemed to go right. Yeah. <laughs> everything seemed to go right for those of us that rock the Kelly Green. So start me off with five things that every herd fan needs to know this week. Here are five things every herd fan needs to know this week, as always, brought to you by Nightlink, the Tri-State's premier IT management team. Stop me if you've ever heard this name in five things. Abby Herring, <laughs> first female ever for us to qualify for the Nationals as a finalist. Yeah. And uh, we're going to talk about that yeah. in Around the Herd when that date is. Yeah. But based on her performance, she's going to the Nationals. How cool, man. How cool. And I think I saw that it's only the third athlete third from athlete cross country ever. all time. So she's the first from the women's side to do it. And does that surprise you? No, but what a great showing for her individually, you know, the, at the, at the regionals. And I mean, you could tell that they didn't know. She didn't know until somebody told her. And I saw the video that they posted of like her finding out, you know, the teams around. And it was just such a wholesome moment, man. And, yeah. and that really just set forth uh, this epic weekend 
in I'm dude, forget it. It's the epic weekend in herd history. It's not just in herd athletics. It's an epic weekend in herd history, man. How freaking awesome for her. And it's and now it's, you know, whatever she does from here on out, she's the only to do it so far. So no matter where she finishes first or freaking last, it doesn't matter because it'll be the highest all time finish ever for a women's runner, a cross country runner for the herd. With apologies to Jed and Ignite Link, we may have to retitle this the Abby Herring Five Things Every Herd Fan Needs to Know This Week. Then put Ignite Link in there. You know, uh, I'm sure I'm sure that uh, we have talked about her and five things more than any other individual athlete. I yeah. mean, I would love for someone that has the time to go back and catalog all those. And yeah. uh, and see just how many different times she's shown up, but just continues to do. So here's the things. thing: we've talked about her so much, and it's all deserved, right? She she uh -huh. everything she does is just really great for herd cross country, and she's an all time all time, right? But here we are, for, probably for the first time since we've been doing this show since its existence. Uh, you know, we have talked about her so much that we have really followed the last two years of an already great career that will undoubtedly 100% slam dunk be a herd hall of famer when mm -hmm. her name is on the ballot without a yep. doubt. It, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter. The career is coming to a close, right? And there's mm -hmm. still things to accomplish, but even if nothing else happens, she's a herd hall of famer. And I right. think that's pretty cool, man, because we, yeah. you know, there are athletes that are playing that will probably be herd hall of famers that we've talked about, you know, like Tavion Kinsey, you know, guys like mm -hmm. that, that will undoubtedly be herd hall of famers. But this is, that's an athlete that everybody, everybody knows Tavion Kinsey, everybody. Mm -hmm. And to be one of the folks, uh, you know, two of uh, us two mainly that just continually talk about these type of athletes that would, largely go under the radar for the majority of herd fans that that to me is pretty special you know because we followed and learned about this hall of famer that is undoubtedly going to be inducted at some point and i find that to be very refreshing for something that we just do for fun yeah and i i've said this many times on this show but she was a teacher's assistant at least last year don't think that she is this year but at Southside, where two of my kids were going last year two different kids you know caitlin went on and jackson came in are there at Southside this year um i am sure that i walked right past her and pick up uh times and and other things or meet and greets and all that and never put two and two together until i saw the yearbook you mm -hmm. know that that she was there as a teacher's assistant so uh brush with greatness you know because <laughs> Well, but she shows she never called you dog once, I guess. No, there's still time. There's, there's still, still time. time. There's still time. <laughs> Randy Moss called me dog, though. Not sure <laughs> if you know that. Number two on our list, Esther LeBon wins the SBC Swimmer of the Week, and that is already the second time this season. No doubt, right? Uh, this swim and dive team, something came across earlier, so I don't know if you're going to talk about that, too. But um, this swim and dive team, we, we keep talking about it that um, we were expecting some pretty big things, you know, and we're starting to see some of that. Um, and another swimmer of the week is, is just the next that, that 
is down the pipeline. But if you if you don't talk about it in around the herd, I'm going to talk about it because uh, this is another kind of a big deal. But well, if you're talking about Grace Kelsheimer, that was uh, already uh, for the one meter dive where mm -hmm. she qualified. That was already from that James Madison meet that we covered last week. For whatever reason, they are just now putting that up with that graphic, but it had actually been reported last week, and we talked about it. Oh, uh, cool! Yeah, yeah. I just so yeah. I just figured this was something brand new because the graphic went up. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a new graphic, and uh, the tweet went out with that and everything. But uh, it was actually uh, in that article, and we talked about it last week uh, when we were doing around the herd uh, about her qualifying for that. Uh, for the one meter dive for yeah so cool right this is like national stuff so this yeah. is these i hate these terms and i know you say this a lot about p5 g5 but i i, I just truly hate the term non-revenue sports right i think that's such a smack in the face yeah because you know and it's, there needs to be a better term for that i mean olympic sports is a better thing but non-ticketed sports uh you know because that's where the revenue that they're talking about you know yeah. they just don't charge admission and you know it's very easy i mean volleyball went from a non-revenue sport to a revenue sport this year just because they had tickets you know for mm -hmm. the first time to it softball is going to be going to that baseball is going to be going to that so yeah there needs to be a better better descriptor because it makes them sound less than something yeah. else yeah, but basically, the, yeah, basically, it's just that they were allowed to be free for fans to come and watch. You yeah, know? it's just so cool. I'm I'm sorry, man. It's so cool. I'm glad. You know, I'm, it's it's nice to see so many of these other sports that you know we we have at Marshall put individual um, in, in, individual athletes in a particular discipline, moving on to these NCAA regionals and finals and things like that. that's big time stuff. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah, everybody's going to pay the closest attention to the biggest sports. Marshall football's pretty much always going to rule the roost and then followed very closely behind by men's basketball. But there are things that just feel like they're rumbling, right? Mm -hmm. We've seen this rise in softball over the last two, three, four years. And now it feels like that's just going to continue, you know, with Morgan Zirkel at, at the helm and in the baseball stadium being built and women's basketball just feels like the sleeping monster that's about to just unleash and, I don't know, man. It it feels like a really good time to be um, excited about all of Marshall sports, even if you don't care about swim and dive, man. You should at least be a casual enough fan to go. That's pretty freaking awesome that we're sending somebody to the NCAA's. Yeah. That should matter to you. It should, yeah. it, you know, it should. You don't have to go to a swim meet. You know, you don't have to be at every one. It'd be cool if you did go to one every now and then just to check it out. But, you know, these are still hurt athletes that are going out and accomplishing big things on a conference level stage and then on a national stage. And they just deserve to be talked about. And by golly, we're just going to continue to talk about them. And one thing that you one sport uh, that you unintentionally left out there was soccer. And we're obviously going to be talking about that here. But. Um, soccer uh, is one of those two that has risen up so much over the past five years. I mean, we're talking yeah. about five straight NCAA appearances and a national championship put in there and, you know, everything that went on from this weekend and the past week and, and all that. Um, it's popularity as far as attendance and stuff like that 
may never topple football. I mean, I don't know, you know, when you get disappointed when the crowds are below 20,000 for football, it's going to be hard for a basketball arena or a soccer uh, stadium to ever have an average of 20,000 people there, you know, at, at least where the level that we're at and everything. But as far as following it online and everything, man, it's up there. You know, I mean, it has gone really, really high up in nationally in respect for us is we are becoming known as a soccer school. Well, there's no question that herd soccer is on a rise that no other real really uh, herd program has been on, you know, since really the nineties in football, you know, once you start winning games, they just kind of took off. It went from winning a couple of games to having a winning season. And then that infamous run in the nineties to be the winningest team of the nineties. And then now it's, it's, it's been a long time since Marshall's seen anything like this. And it's even increasingly harder to do that in the sports world. And, and when you do that in easily the most popular sport in the world in soccer, I think it's a little bit more remarkable because of just how competitive that sport is. But it just goes to show you, man, you can do that stuff. It can still be done. And we're doing it here in Huntington, West Virginia. Marshall has turned itself you know, from just a school that had a soccer program to a premier soccer program in the country to where the ceiling is basically limitless and the floor has risen so high that now you get into the area where expectations are we're a national title contender every single year because mm-hmm. nothing has just fallen off. But I think the best part about that is – even though we we are expecting to compete for the conference every year, compete for an NCAA championship every year, now people still aren't entitled about that. You know, it's like we're still just admiring how great we are, and and it's not like you know in some of these football schools that you see that 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 all they do is win. Right. They become just utterly obnoxious, and and we're not there, and I love that. I really love that about Herd fans. We're not just going to obviously uh, be quiet about how good our team is and, and how dominant they can be, but it's it's not a rub-it-in-your-face kind of deal, and I, I really like that about Herd fans. I really like that about uh, just respecting the fact that we're really damn good, but we don't have to tell you we're good. You know, you can just enjoy the match and be like, Man, well, you know, five nil again, you know. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what more there is left to prove. I think we just checked like the last two boxes, you know, in this uh in this rise. You know, it's it's weird that you win the national championship before you win the conference championship type thing. And and to do that, you know, I think all the boxes are now checked. Conference regular season, conference champion or tournament championship. We've already done the uh national title we've got deep runs in the ncaa tournament since then just what a it, it i don't know i don't know how to explain it right but i know i love it it's it's so refreshing and to think that uh you know the soccer program has been is now like the blueprint they are the blueprint at marshall and what you can do if you invest in a program and if you go out and make the right uh hires and you find the right people it it's crazy. It's I'm not saying it's not directly comparable to a sport like football because there's so many moving parts that go yeah. into football. 
but you can soccer I feel like is more like basketball because you can get a handful of pieces to completely change your team around or to augment what you just lost and just continue to be dominant. Basketball is that same kind of way. You know, you go find two, three, four guys, you can utterly change the the, the look of your program in a year. You can't really do that in football. There's just too many positions, too many things, too many of everything. And plus the 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 competitiveness in football in America is just on a different level in collegiate athletics. The disparity is too is is just too big a lot of times. You know, you're just not going to turn it around and all of a sudden become Ohio State or all of a sudden become Georgia. You know, you can win, but to be a playoff contender annually from a school that's the size of Marshall, that's just basically impossible. Shouldn't stop us from striving for it, but it's just it's just hard to do. You know, you haven't seen anybody from this mid-major level do that. There's, there's no one that does that, you know. Cincinnati came close. They got snubbed on the playoff. Then they went to the playoff, and then what happened? The coach left, and then they changed conferences, and now they're not, you know, they're not the same as they were a couple of years before. But I don't know how you get enough of, of soccer. I, and, you know, you start to get in the arguments now like, well, we need more seating. Well, we need more this. Like, keep investing in the program, you know, because Marshall just seems like they're not – going to slide down from the mountaintop anytime soon. So, you know, 30, 3,100 and some change set the new record of attendance, and they were in there, man. They were crammed in like sardines from from the broadcast, and you were there. I'm sure you've got a better perspective. But, you know, hey, you, that's the, what you want. That's what all of our coaches say. Come to our games. Make, them, make, us, uh, make Marshall have to add seating. That's what we need. That's how you support our program. And, boy, man. Men's soccer is just the chef's kiss right now for the herd. All right, number three on our list of five things. We've got um, signing day. I don't know how you say this for non-football, I guess, is the best way to say it. Um, But signing day, we have uh, uh, a list. I can't remember how many athletes there were. So many. Uh, And I don't want to leave a single name out. So yeah. what I'm going to tell you is Herd Zone has these listed under the different teams. They've been all over the social media as well. We have been retweeting them out when they put them. They put them out individually. They put them out yeah. of a list for each sport. I just encourage you to go over and see our new Thundering Herd athletes that are coming here. There are plenty for each sport. You can see uh, just, for instance, basketball had two. Uh, seven for softball. If you just go to those individual sport pages, they have lists of those over on Herd Zone. Again, I do not want to do a disservice to any athlete. A lot of these we covered here on the Thundercast when they had verbally committed or when they had all but done the send in the facts for the official sign. Um, some of these we've been covering for a year, or they've been mm-hmm. saying they've been coming here for a year or longer. And some of them follow the show and interact with us on social media. So get over there and uh, familiarize yourselves with these names. And a lot of them could have a very instant impact in their respective sports. Yeah. One that you really have to pay particular attention to, not an individual athlete, but a sport is baseball because they've had a big recruiting class. And, you know, we've talked about it before that, you know, this class is really going to set the mold for what a Greg Beals team will ultimately look like when he's had a chance to really put his fingerprint on this program. And signing day came and went, but much like football, you can expect 
signings to come in after signing day. They still continue to trickle in. As a matter of fact, one came through just a little bit ago, um, yesterday maybe. So they're still going to be – they didn't all come in on one day and now it's done. They're still going to be trickling in. We've seen, you know, after official signing day, there's been another, I think, softball signing. There was another baseball signing. So, you know, these these kids also want to maybe have a signing day event at their school. So, you know, they, they all want to um, – cherish the moment and it's deserved so let them but uh you're right there's a lot of athletes that are going to be coming in that 2024 class and uh, of course we're also edging ever closer to football signing day and we'll cover that and talk about that whenever we and whenever that rolls around but uh you're right man a lot of these young athletes incoming freshmen have found the thundercast they've been following the thundercast and i think we are helping them get familiar with other athletes from other sports that are going to be in their 2024 class it's really cool when i've seen times where we've uh, you know retweeted a commitment from softball or basketball or you know women's soccer or something like that and one of our baseball guys is is retweeting or you know uh, just uh, sending some emoji or something like welcome to the family type deal. So it's really cool, man. It, it, it's a, there's a lot of talent coming in and, you know, just don't wait for them to become stars. Go, go learn about them before they're stars for the herd. Absolutely. And now <laughs> since, since we were talking about um, soccer, our final two things are going to be about soccer. I'm sure you know what the, uh, at least one of them is going to be, but Alvaro Garcia Pasqual is named the most outstanding player for the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. Also listed uh, on the all-tournament team is Alex Bamford, Rye Pinto, and Amain Sordo. Mm-hmm. Great showing, obviously. A lot of it. representation for the herd. You would not expect to see any different uh, because, hey, the best team in the conference won the tournament. Uh, that that I know we're going to talk about this more. The conference championship turn conference tournament championship match was one for the ages. I mean, we told folks if you can go to the game, you need to go to the game because you're going to be treated to an unbelievable match and a back and forth match. This was not your one nil type deal. I mean, a, a lot of scoring, a lot of back and forth, several lead changes. I mean, I don't know what more you could want and. Yeah, I, I can't downplay it and say it wasn't notched up because it was West Virginia, right? Because it's just natural. I mean, we're the two Division One schools in the state, and these are two top-tier programs. And and there was a revenge factor from earlier in the season and going to Morgantown and all that type of stuff and losing that match. But ultimately, it doesn't matter because it was a championship match that was at home, you know. And we just don't we're not we're not getting that very often. And I will I will submit to the fact that we can't host a championship game or match in a lot of sports. They have, you know, a neutral site where the tournament is held. I get that. But, uh, you know, we need to be able to host as many matches and games for championships as we can. We're able to do that for men's soccer this year. We had home field throughout, and everybody turned out for all of those matches, including setting that new – uh, stadium record for the vet. It was it was just an unbelievable thing. I watched the whole thing, right? And even my son, my son doesn't care about sports. You know, he's just not. That's not his thing. My youngest, and 
And he's, he was sitting there like, I think he was uh, enamored by the crowd, just the sheer size of the crowd and that there were so many people crammed into this little area. And he sat and watched the match with me and, and even he was intrigued by it. So that was pretty cool, man. But I, I don't know. Excellent showing by Herd Soccer this week. Our fifth thing, you just mentioned it there, but I'll give you the exact number. New attendance record at Hoops Family Field set yesterday, and that was 3,151. Beat it by 76. 76, yeah. Uh, how I know that that's not going to be the norm for every match, right? It's not because it was a championship match, but I feel very, very confident saying if they could have gotten more inside, they would have gotten more inside. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it was, it was, like I said, they were packed in there like sardines and, and man, there was nobody moving because you move your feet, you lose your seat and nobody wanted to lose their seat. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's time to talk expansion. You know, it, it's time. Oh, to it's, talk ar it's already on the docket. It's I know, already but I mean, as, as fans, as, as you know, I know they want to do it, but it's time to talk about, you know, what, what is the new minimum seating capacity? That's what we need to talk about. You know, I'm not saying we need no 10,000 seat stadium. We don't need that, but you need bleachers on both sides of the, uh, uh, you know, spanning the pitch on the other side. You, there's some character type things that you can do now to make the vet truly special and, I think it's time, you know. Well, we know this off season there's going to be a video board go in. We, excuse me, we know that lights are are uh, going to be upgraded, and it was a situation where they already would have been upgraded, mm -hmm. uh, but it was a uh, supply chain issue. Right. But you know, you got to have uh, a certain uh, lighting. It's called for a certain number of foot candle. Sure. Uh, to be able to host uh, nighttime NCAA tournament games and regionals and things like that and championships. But um, upgrades are abounding and they're continual and they're going to keep happening. And I know seating is one of those. Uh, they've already upgraded in the seating since um, the national championship game. It, it went into effect that off season. They brought in some temporary bleachers and then they became permanent fixtures and uh, we have sat sit set I'll get the right uh, word here in a second we have set plenty of records in attendance mm -hmm. since we made that that addition so uh, it's I can't imagine the next time WVU comes here just for the Derby not for a, a, a championship but you know 3,000 was uh for UCF 3075 just for a game during the season mm -hmm. and i imagine that we can routinely get over 3000 as this sport continues to grow well not just this sport but this daggone conference cuz that means yeah, yeah. the the we're bringing in top tier competition yeah. right so this is kind of like the SEC football version of soccer because it's a gauntlet you know the soccer the soccer schedule is riddled with top tier teams and, and there's also the opportunity to put these high rpi opponents in your non-conference because there's a lot mm -hmm. of them that are fairly local to huntington west virginia that would love to come to a facility like the vet and play against the herd right mm -hmm. so you got 
Lexington an hour and a half away, that's an easy trip for a soccer, yeah. an easy trip for a soccer match. The Derby's always going to be a big deal. And if UCF continues to be a top tier uh, soccer program, which there's no reason to think that they won't be. I mean, Orlando is a bevy of soccer talent. You know, they have a an MLS team. They they that it's it's important there. So th- there's other factors at play other than just Marshall fa- putting a great team on the field. Quick and, and cheap th- flight from Orlando to yeah, up here too. It is. And I think you're 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 right in saying like 3000 could become the norm, you know. I mean, you you sh- in very short order you could be talking about setting, you know, like standing room only at that closer to 5000 mm-hmm. tier if they can do some proper expansion and get some more seating and, and things like that. So I say, do it, man, freaking do it. Right. Yeah. This, this sport's and, popular. It's growing. You, and you got to strike while the, uh, you know, while, while you can. So do it. And we, we had basketball, the, the opener. Uh, I was there for that. And the crowd, I think they mentioned was 4,400, uh, I think was the number. And you're talking about, yeah, it was still 25% higher or 33% higher than what you had uh, at this thing. But how many more people would have been if there would have been a higher capacity yeah. to seat uh, people? Um, it's coming. It's coming. Yeah, it's coming. But, man, can't come fast enough. <laughs> so that's it for our five things this week. As always, brought to you by Ignite Link. Awesome. Five things, man. Abby Herring, come on. How do you ever get tired of talking about the GOAT from women's cross country? Soccer team just did everything we hoped they would do, and we still only scratched the surface of this unbelievably historic weekend for herd athletics. So let's talk about what needed to happen. What well, Actually, it was the first thing we said needed to happen to kick this weekend off the right way, but it turns out Abby was the first thing that happened to really get the weekend going off the right way. But, hey, it was 75 week, man. And and the clock kind of stops when it's 75 week. You know, Marshall really just focuses hardcore on that. And, and it's not just the team. It's not just the players and admins. It's the fans, too. It, it, that is the focal point of the fall season. Athletically, it's 75 week. And – it's 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 just that special thing that you cannot absolutely accurately articulate. You can't do it. Georgia Southern was the opponent this year, uh, the victim this year, the unfortunate team on the schedule this year. And I gotta I gotta tell you, I think they were pretty confident coming into this one. I think they thought they were going to come into Jones C. Edwards Stadium and face a struggling Marshall team, and really just take a step toward a Sunbelt East division championship. And it didn't happen for them. You know, we had, we had alluded to it. uh, Like you just, you just can't take what you see in any given season and think it's going to continue during 75 week. People might laugh at that and people might think you guys are full of it, but I've seen enough of the games to know, that it's true. <laughs> and for those newer fans and especially the Sunbelt era fans that might that might not have believed that, better believe it. Because we saw the most complete game played 
by the herd this season. Without question. Without question, the most complete game in all three phases. Final score in this one, 38-33. to 33. Marshall moves to 5-5, five and five, back to 500. 2-4 and four in the Sun Belt, but more importantly, ended the losing streak. Now, you got to get one out of two, but screw it. We're trying to go 2-0 and oh to finish the season and actually go 3-0 and oh to finish the season. And if we get us a nice bowl game, 4-0 oh to finish the season. I think the, uh, the, the, the first kind of eerie thing you've got to talk about is 38-33 at 71 points in 75 week. Herd's rocking the 1971 logo helmet. It's, that's those little things that always seem to pop up in this game. Quick bullet points for me, of course, during this game, Cole Pennington gets the start at quarterback. We didn't know that was a thing when we were recording the preview. We had seen rumors swirling, you know, maybe the day before or the morning of that that might be a thing. We had no idea that Cam was uh, dinged up or a scratch in the game. We don't know what the issue is, but uh, he did not dress. So we had no idea that he was not going to dress. Nonetheless, Cole Pennington starts. He's 1-0. The Penningtons are winning quarterbacks at Marshall. That's what the trend says right now. Uh, I mentioned this being the most complete game, and I think that's a definite understatement. And Rasheen Ali had the bounce-back game that we all knew he needed. He knew he wanted, right? It just had to happen, and he had a massively huge day. Russ, before I get into some indicators, let's talk about the the uh, the game as a whole before we get into sides of the ball and grades and all that stuff. Just give me some give me some bullet points from Russ Livingston. Well, it was cold, uh, and I had mentioned it didn't matter if it was cold, didn't matter if it was rainy, didn't matter if it was going to turn to ice. I was still going to go, and I was going to be there the whole time. Um, we had. Little over nineteen. I know it was under twenty thousand people there. Yeah, it was, but um, they were loud, and we had a great tailgate going in. We had uh, uh, a loud showing when we needed to uh, from the fans. Uh, the entire atmosphere just felt great. Uh, we scored early. It wasn't like we were down and had to come back. You know, it was trading scores back and forth and everything, which was something that I, I'm not trying to take credit for this, but just something that I predicted that I thought could happen, that we would score more than 30 and then it would be a back and forth affair and kind of a shootout. When I said 31, 28, that's how I described it. A 31 to 28 shootout back and score back and forth scoring. We kind of got that. It was a great game to watch. Um, mm -hmm. I went back and watched some of it on a rewatch. I haven't watched the whole thing, but, uh, it was a, an amazingly entertaining game and there were some huge plays from both teams and it just had a great feeling the whole time. But at no point did it feel like we can't win this game. Mm -hmm. And that was not true for the last three weeks that, of, of games we were playing. Yeah. Uh, it was an amazingly entertaining game to watch on television as well. And uh, my wife watched the game with me for a little bit. But, you know, she's not a big sports fan, but it was 75 weekend. That's important, and she knows that, and she wanted to watch a little bit. And 
but she was in, you know, she kind of uh, excused herself to the bedroom to go do what she does, you know, watching some, I'm sure some murder mystery or something that women love, true crime drama. I don't know. But she kept saying, Marshall must be winning or <laughs> because she kept hearing me yell. I'm out of my seat and I'm yelling and I'm fist pumping in there, you know, because, you know, the Ali breaks a big run or, you know, just whatever it is. And she was she was giggling at me because she's like, I haven't heard you in the living room for the last month, you know, and now here we are, you know, so it was it was very entertaining, very entertaining. And you're right. It never seemed like we were out of that game because we weren't out of that game. Even going yeah. down at halftime didn't feel like the momentum had swung. I did not feel that way. Right. I didn't feel like it, even though we were down and uh, Georgia Southern was going to get the ball to start the second half. Never. I it. I just never wavered. I did not feel like this one was going to get out of hand at any point. Yeah. Felt like so, a palate cleanser. Uh, yeah. If, if I could use that term, that's how it felt like to me. Yeah. So let me talk about these indicators because this is wild, man. If you, you know, we talked about this a little bit in the spaces, but I've, I, I was looking at the stats as we were doing our post game spaces and, you look at the indicators in this game and you would not think it went the way it was. And I don't know what that says about this game. I don't know what it says about the week, but it's another one of those things. 75-week things. Georgia Southern absolutely swept every indicator in this game except for the scoreboard. Total yards, we were outgained 384 to 370. Not huge, but still outgained. Time of possession, 32-42 to 27-18 for Georgia Southern. So that's a full possession, you know, if not mo maybe two quick ones. First downs, 18-14 to 14, Georgia Southern. Third downs, 5 of 19 for Georgia Southern. That's 26%. Doesn't sound that great, but the herd only went 2 of 9 for 22%. Edge, Georgia Southern. Penalties, 7 for 45. Not that great, but the herd went 9 for 74. Edge, Georgia Southern. And turnovers. Two for the herd officially, um, zero for Georgia Southern. Edge, Georgia Southern. It just was their game statistically, except for special teams and some of those other freaky 75-week plays. Cole Pennington, I mentioned, gets the start, the youngster's first career start, 75-week. We talked about this in Thundercats Live because that's the first opportunity we had to, to really talk about Cole Pennington potentially starting and i said well you know what it might just add to the aura of the cole pennington story four years from now we might be saying you know he got his first start it was 75 week it just it's one of those things and after the game i'd seen some things that kind of brought it a full circle deal when you learned that chad pennington came in in relief in 1995 yeah. for you know basically a his first meaningful action and let a comeback win. I think it was a comeback win, but just a big win against Georgia Southern. It's just a weird thing, man. And you love to see it. But Cole Pennington, 15 of 20, very efficient, 201 yards, no touchdowns, and one interception. He did lose a fumble as well, but dude, two fumble recoveries. Uh, it started out rough for Cole. His very first pass was an interception deep in herd territory, and the defense stood immediately strong, and Georgia Southern missed a field goal. So it was absolutely a inconsequential interception, but nonetheless, you can't tell me that everybody went, oh, no. You know, first play is just, oh, no. 
and they're set up and ready to roll. Rasheen Ali, 24 carries after combining for 25 the previous two games, 165 yards, three touchdowns, including a 55-yard scamper, three receptions for another nine yards. Caleb McMillan has one carry for 21 yards and a touchdown. Demarcus Harris, though, man, four receptions through the air, 147 yards, including 129 yards after contact, a play of 65 and a play of 62. Unbelievably, he did not find the end zone on either one of those. But excellent pass plays and runs after the catch nonetheless. Offensively, Russ, bullet points, they scored 31 points on offense. First time in a long time. This is a very, very balanced game for this herd of offense. 169 yards on the ground, 201 through the air. Chunk plays on both the run game and the pass game. The negative, though, four fumbles and an interception. Though only one fumble was lost, but still four fumbles. Those are just momentum killers uh, usually, but four fumbles and only one loss. That's another one of those 75-week deals. Penalties did call back at least two big plays that I can think of off the top of my head, so that didn't go away, but it still didn't matter, man. It still didn't matter. Give me your thoughts on this herd of offense slight before we get into grades. Well, so we had 201 passing, 169 rushing. That's uh, really close to balanced or everything, but you would normally see more passing than, than rushing, but you cannot hate the results. You would have liked to have seen some passing touchdowns, especially since we came close twice with Harris, who mm-hmm. uh, he just got caught with angles. But... Um, they moved the ball. We uh, didn't have near as many of the drops. Uh, you and I talked about it in the spaces. You could technically say that there was a drop uh, with Talik Keaton when he got hit and spun around and basically did a split and dropped the ball as he hit the ground. Uh, but completing the process of the catch, that, that didn't happen. So you can count that as a drop. Uh, 15 of 20, but the first three was one of three for like Mm -hmm. three yards. Mm -hmm. So the rest of the game, you're looking at 14 out of 17. And one of those was that drop by Keaton. So Mm -hmm. very good job, in my opinion, of giving Cole some things that he could build on and not putting him in uh, um, situations where he was faced with an uphill climb. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what you want to do, not because it's Cole, it's because it's a freshman starting for the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you want to put things in that where you can build, okay, now we're doing this. That means now we can move to this. And I think that we just did a great job of that. And we had a great offensive performance. We also threw in, uh, some different looks that we saw, uh, starting down at app state with uh direct snap to, uh, uh, Ali. And this time we did not have Cole in when we did that a couple of times down at App State. We had Fancher in, uh, but ran one of those plays to perfection. Uh, a reverse to McMillan was a touchdown. Another one of those was a 50 some yard scamper from Ali for a touchdown. So two of our touchdowns came out of that formation, that package. Well, if I'm not mistaken, all three three did because the nine the last Ali touchdown, the nine oh, yard was. where, where yeah. they just let him walk in was yeah, out of that, that as was, well. That was too. Yeah. So uh 
we we did uh we did a great job on offense of mixing things up and uh it felt good to get numerous scores after not having scores for yeah so many quarters in a row certainly did and i will say this you can't just say well uh you well what you can't do is just gloss over the fact that you run the opening kickoff back so you take the field already up 7 to nothing yeah. you know you you that that means something you're playing with a lead and what no matter what it means to you know the unit or individual players you're still playing with a lead i'm not taking anything away but man what a luxury to have you start mm-hmm. a game up 7 to nothing before your offense even takes the field yeah uh, but it was. I want to save all of my discussion really from four grades, so I'm going to move directly to defense. J.J. Roberts yep. leads the way again for the herd. Eleven total tackles, two solo, half tackle for loss. Eli Neal, another great game. Nine tackles, three solo, two tackles for loss. But he was in on some big, big plays that if he does not make the play, are going to turn into huge gains, and who knows, maybe more for Georgia Southern. Deonnie Hill, six tackles, three solo. A.G. McGee, five tackles, four solo, three passes defended. And Mike Green also five tackles, two solo. Got, gets one of two herd sacks, and he also has a tackle for loss. Uh, impact plays, absolutely zero turnovers created. Only two sacks, seven tackles for loss, but ten passes defended. You would expect that number to be high against a air raid type offense. It was. Uh, bullet points for me, they only allowed, Marshall's defense only allowed 77 total rushing yards. And you might say, yeah, so what? This was an air raid offense. Well, if you'll remember from the preview, we said coming in, Jalen White only had 17 fewer yards than Rasheen Ali on something like 26 fewer carries or something mm-hmm. like that. So they ran the ball extremely well. Well, enter the herd run defense, and they thwarted that. I think uh, I think White had 67 yards, mm-hmm. and, and Ali had 165 and, yards. So really put some distance between the two of them in this game. So excellent job overall against a really good runner in this game by the herd defense. Coming in, White had 6.1 yards per carry, and he had three uh, straight games. He was averaging, uh, I can't remember what it was, it's like 430 yards in three games, so yeah. well over 100 in, in the last three each, and we held him to 3.9 yards per carry, and he's still out of that 67. He had a long of 28, and I think that may have been his first rush of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after that, we just said, bring it. We yep. shut him down. Yeah, they dared him to run it. They kept trying to run it because in a close game, you're not going to abandon the run, even though mm-hmm. they're very efficient on offense through the air. They, you're still going to not abandon the run, but Marshall's up for the task. They were. They were just absolutely up for the task. And then the last bullet point for me is that I think these DBs did really, really well. We only saw one bad blown assignment that led to, you know, one of those ooh, kind of touchdowns, and it was the 47-yarder that kind of went down the seam there a little bit. But other than that, I think they were up to the task, and they proved they were up to the task. Georgia Southern did not have a 100-yard receiver. They had two or three guys that had pretty decent numbers, but nobody dominated a game. In fact, I think Caleb Hood, who is a star in the receiving game for them, made more noise in the punt return game than Mm -hmm. he did in the receiving game. And Huff mentioned that, you know, coming into the game, that Hood likes – to try to return the ball. He's not a fair catch it type guy, and he did. He tried to make several returns, and, and he was successful, fairly successful. He didn't eclipse 100 yards, but he had an impact in the game for them in the punt return. Um, so let's talk about this herd defense, man. 
really good to see J.J. Roberts uh, back there again, putting up a great game. We talked about it at App State, how he came out uh, two weeks after that devastating hit where we were all left wondering, what's this going to look like for the rest of the year? What's this Mm going to look like for the rest of his life? And he is back and playing at an elite level. That's 26 tackles in the last two games. Uh, We came up big when we needed it. Uh, We fed off the crowd's energy on third downs, and we uh, made some massive stops, had some massive uh, tackles for loss. Uh, We had some uh, passes defended when we needed to, including in the end zone. So great all-around job. Yeah, just a great all-around job, man. They they, A lot of these – I'm going to save it for keys. Uh, so let's do special teams now. Jaden Harrison, hello. One kick return, 98 yards for the touchdown to open the game for the herd. 15 seconds into the game, Marshall's got a 7 to nothing lead. Um, it don't get no better than that unless you're, you know, do it in 10 seconds. <laughs> um, but th- here's the thing. I gotta, I've got to say this, and this is very tongue-in-cheek because you know that we love uh, Grant Trailer. We think he does a great job, but I watched the post-game interviews on YouTube with the guys, and, and this was just a really nice, wholesome, made-me-smile moment because as Jaden was taking the podium f- to do his post-game, you could hear Grant off in the background saying, Jaden Harrison, kick returner, you know, blah, 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 blah. And he said, uh, you know, it's the first opening kickoff return for touchdown since 20." Uh, 2017 or something like that. It was whenever Keon Davis did it against Miami. And uh, he said, he he looked over and he went, uh, I did that against FAU in 2019. And he goes, correction, since, <laughs> since 2019. And I got a giggle out of that. I think that was so great. Uh, but Grant does a great job. And I love that moment between uh, he and Harrison. But uh, not lost in this is now Jaden has shot to number one, tied number one in the country in kick returns for touchdown. He's got two. And he has shot to... Number one tied for number one all time in herd history with now three kick returns for touchdown. And Russ, I want to do a little trivia with you. Uh, just off the top of your head, see if you can give me the other three guys. Well, I already read it. Uh, oh, that's you already read it. <laughs> yeah, I read it off of Steve Cotton's Sunday morning. Oh, okay. I didn't uh, get no, it. I didn't man. get it from there. I was I yeah. looked at the record book myself. Never yeah. mind, you cheater. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but Reese Verhoff goes one of one on field goal, nails one from 22, five of five on extra points. And then John McConnell, six punts on the day, 243 total yards, a 40.5 yard average, not bad, but he has situational punts that lower that average to land inside the 20, including the punt that lands at the two yard line. And I don't know that lands is the proper term to say how that ball hit the turf and just stayed there. But an excellent, unbelievably excellent day for special teams. Um, Russ, let's save all the special teams discussion for grades because you don't want to be repetitive. And plus, there's just so much cool stuff to talk about. Yeah, I just have to say, though, you left off one thing for Jaden Harrison. on He's number one in the nation, not just tied for uh, touchdowns, but in yards uh, per oh, return. Average. Okay, full, yard. Full, full yard ahead of number two. Nice. I did not. T- I did not catch that. Yep. Uh, but let's talk about our keys to victory. This ought to be right. fun. Uh, what was your number one key to victory? My number one key was to score points, and we did that. Uh, I had said that I thought that we needed to put up four touchdowns, and we did that. Plus mm-hmm. the uh, special teams touchdown. So, uh, big green check right there. 
Yeah, absolutely a big green check. Number one for me, I said we needed to take an early lead, play from ahead, and stay aggressive. And <laughs> It doesn't get much better than returning the opening kickoff for touchdown. That's scoring early, and we played from ahead for a while. We took a... Uh, we were trailing at the half, but it didn't matter. We stayed aggressive. We took no series off. Not everything worked out, but I don't feel like we just wasted some series. Mm-hmm. And uh, we stayed aggressive. It worked out, and that's a huge, massively green check mark for me. They did an excellent job uh, satisfying that key to victory. What was number two? Special teams needs to play a key role. I'm going to talk about everything they did <laughs> when we get to the grades about that, but – Big green check. Key role is about the understatement of the podcast this week. Uh, Number two, I said that the herd needed to go punch for punch. And they absolutely did that. And that might be the most satisfying key to victory that we achieved. Because we were ahead, and then we were down, and we were never out. And we just kept fighting and kept fighting. And when we came up for air at the end of the game, we had done enough to secure this victory. What was your number three? Number three is defense has to figure it out. I had talked about uh, not giving up the huge chunk plays, and although we did have that busted coverage on the one touchdown that you talked about earlier, they figured it out in every facet that I can think of. Uh, big green check. Yeah, almost identical to yours. Is I narrowed that down to, I said the young defensive backs really have to be on point in this game because we'd seen them cut their teeth a little bit over the previous month, some meaningful plays, a lot of game action. There was some growing and some growing pains that had taken uh, its course over the last month for a lot of these young DBs and then enter a air raid offense. They needed to be on point, and man, I don't know how you could be more happy. Yeah, it was a 300-yard passing day for Davis, but you expect that. That's what they do. 54 passing attempts they had to face. Deani Hill had an amazingly good game. A.G. McGee had a pretty good game. Jacoby Henderson, outside of one coverage missed, had a really great game. And, oh, by the way, Micah Abraham played one of the finest games that he has played. He was blanketing wide receivers, and it was great to watch. Absolute green check mark for me with this young defensive back play and Abraham. And, of course, J.J. leading the team with 11 total tackles. What was your last key to victory? Feed off the fans. I think that we did an amazing job of that. They kept doing the uh, arms up motion to get the fans more into it at key points. Mm -hmm. Uh, It seemed like we had them on third down all game long. Mm -hmm. And uh, Marshall was loud with uh, only 19 and some change reported as the attendance. We are Marshall still sounded very loud. And I even thought to myself, if we can sound like this at 19,000 when this is 30,000 plus the standing room that we're going to get at a game like the Virginia Tech game or you know some of these other games what can we sound like and i still want to say that i look around and going into the fourth quarter we don't have every single person doing the uh thunder lights we or the herd lights we have uh still around you seeing people not saying we are or chanting we are and i'm sure it's the same way on the other side with chanting marshall we could be louder but daggone it was loud for only mm-hmm. nineteen thousand. do don't know yeah. what it sounded like on tv but fans were loud they were into it and the team 100 responded to that so yeah. that just shows you show up be loud what we talked about could have helped them win a ball game right there 
Yeah, I think we did help them win a ball game right there. They they played out of their minds and they fed on the constant energy from a close game that was back and forth and and it was the don't quit from the herd on the field that really also fuels the fans and then in turn the fan energy fuels the herd to not quit mm-hmm. and to keep battling. It's it's just a synergistic relationship and fans absolutely have an impact on the game. Uh my last key was Marshall has to play a complete game on offense. Now, I, I, I qualified that by saying no drops, better blocking, and no penalties. While we didn't get those things, I mean, we got better blocking, you know, but there were still penalties that called back big plays on offense. Notably that, uh, you know, the wide receiver pass by Talit Keaton got called back, a big run by Ali got called back, and there were a couple other penalties that kind of killed some things. But – we saw a drop or two, but that offense played a complete game. You can't say that they didn't. They absolutely did. So four for four for me for the herd. I think four for four for you for the herd. Add it all up, and it's a, a big victory on 75 week for the herd. Let's do some grades, man. I've been excited about doing this since this game. I was watching this game in real time thinking, man, grades is going to be fun. So let's start it out. Quarterback grade for young Cole Pennington making his first career start against Georgia Southern. I got a at a B plus, and I can already tell you there's going to be people hitting the DMs or saying I'm hating on Cole. I'm not. Cole played great. Uh, fact is, he had a uh, interception and he had a fumble and he had no touchdowns. And if that would have been Cam Fancher doing that, a lot of people would have said, "Look, he had no touchdowns." You know, mm-hmm. I don't care that he only had 200 yards. Cole played great, man. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not dogging Cole at all. Uh, in fact, the uh, first interception, his first throw of the game, his arm got hit as he was uh, going to throw. It wasn't his fault. Someone just got good penetration through there. It was actually still a good, pretty good block. It's just, it was one of those things. He timing half second earlier that he releases the ball. Somebody gets just one little bit more of a block on him. He's throwing a deep ball down the sideline. Mm-hmm. Um, he got hit on the fumble with his arm not getting to go forward again. If we have just a slightly longer block, he gets that ball off. I mean, a fraction of a second, the arm is moving forward a little bit more. It's an incomplete pass at, at the worst. So yeah. I'm not putting those on him on him. I'm just saying B plus is a very good grade. And had he completed for a touchdown or something like that, it would have went up to a full letter grade of an A minus or maybe even an A. Great job by him. Yeah, it was a great job by him. I actually have him at an A minus. And a lot of the reasons you talked about, you know, knock that grade down a little bit. You know, the the interception, while not his fault, was just it's still an interception. Goes down as an interception. And and on the fumble, I think that they called it a fumble on the field. Mm-hmm. Okay, if they call that an incomplete pass on the field, they go to replay, it stays an incomplete pass. Right. I think the ball was moving forward, but just not conclusive enough for them to overturn that call. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those 50-50 things that just happened to be called a fumble on the field, so it stayed. They didn't say the call was confirmed or anything like that. They just said the, the play stands, and, you know, so that was iffy. But he played pretty well. You can't, You cannot deny that this offense was just – 
able to move the ball a little bit better. He throws a pretty crisp pass. Everything was pretty much on target. He had a few that guys had to make some, you know, more acrobatic catches to get a hold of, but he's still making his first career start in a must-win game situation for the for the Marshall Thundering Herd on 75 weeks and all that that goes into that, you know. So there's a lot of little added pressure that goes on to him. They might not want to admit to it, but, dude, it was a must-win. You got to win that game. You don't want to go into the last two games of the season having to win both of them just to maybe get a bowl game. But he played really, really well. He settled into the game. He started rough with the interception, but man, he got better. And you you mentioned mm-hmm. he started one for three, and then he finishes like whatever it was. I don't remember, but he only had like five incompletions. It was fifteen to twenty for two hundred one yeah. yards, and he started off one for three with three yards and an interception. Yeah, and then you know has a drop that you know. It wasn't really Talik's fault either. It was just a freaky spin around type tackle, and that's that's hard for anybody. But you 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 put in a drop in there, and and now you're looking at one or two like true incompletions. Mm-hmm. He did a great job. You, you cannot argue that this this offense didn't look more like a good offense with him back there. He he just throws a good ball, a catchable ball. He leads his receivers to the area to where they can make a move, and we saw Harris do that. You know, a, a nice. He, he did a really good job, and I'm and he gets the A because he made the two biggest plays that saved that game probably with those fumble recoveries. Mm-hmm. And and it doesn't I, I can't say well it was him, it was because he was in there that it happened I, I don't know but he made them so I'm not yeah. going to take him away from it. he made them. You got to have you, heads up to to do that, and he made a heads up play. If, if, I don't know if you've gotten to this point in your rewatch yet for that drive because that's a fourth quarter I drive. Have. Well, you wait until you get to that drive and the first one on the Ali fumble. Tell me how he ends up with the ball because I watched it live. I saw it again on replay and I'm still baffled about how that Georgia Southern defensive lineman was not able to. He got his hand up and on the ball and I don't Mm -hmm. know how he wasn't able to pull it in. It popped out of his hand and Cole fell on it. I know. Another one of those things. When you see that, guys, if you watch a replay, a rewatch, and you go look at that play, you'll think, I don't know how that was not a recovery by Georgia Southern. I don't know how now, it wasn't. Now, I I try to, from my perspective, be as fair as I can be. And, you know, I already said if Cam were throwing, uh, had two turnovers and no touchdowns and 201 yards, someone would have said, well, it didn't matter that we had uh, 15 out of 20 when we're only throwing this far down the field and stuff like that. A lot of these yards were yards after catch, and we haven't seen that as much with Cam. I've seen people online saying, well, we threw more than 10 yards downfield. We really didn't. So it's just placement right where it needs to be to hit a guy in stride on a slant to give him that opportunity to go uh, 129 yards after the catch on two different uh, or four different catches that he had. Yeah. So I'm not taking anything away from Cole. I'm saying view that the, the performance that he had the same way cam did cam had some of the same things to where he was getting hit as soon as he got the ball. Uh, it, we didn't correct nearly all the things that we need to correct. There's still penalties. There's still uh, holding calls, bringing things back. There's still people getting back and sacking the quarterback before he has a chance. So I just want people to try to be fair to both of these guys. It's not like one is not doing well and one is 
light years ahead. They both are facing some of the same things. Cole had a good game here. Cam did not have a good game the last two games. I get what you're saying, but I I don't want this to turn into a Cole versus Cam debate right. because Cam was in street clothes, man. Right. So it, it's not about, you know, what other folks might say because another quarterback was playing. Dude, the, the kid played really great, and I don't, I don't care yeah. what the extenuating circumstances were. I'm going to give him his due. He did mm-hmm. a good job, and he deserves to be talked about in a positive way because he really did a good job. For the first time in – a month seemingly or really close to a month, Marshall put up several offensive touchdowns, four of them, you know, and, and it was just it was it was just a different experience on offense this week. I'm there's still not gonna be like, you know, now I guess you're gonna ask you get to the question like, well, of course, we still we don't know if Cam will even be available to play this weekend right. on the road against South Alabama. But this starts to look like the same situation we were in last year. Right. You know, like it, we we had gotten stagnant. We had fallen to a 500 team. They made the quarterback switch, and we got a spark. And now here we are. We had fallen below 500. Our offense had become stagnant, and mm-hmm. they, they didn't make, per se, a quarterback switch. The starter was injured, and we had to rely on QB2 to come in. He gets the win. Now is he the hot hand, or do they go back if Fancher is available to play? Does he make the start in Mobile, and they see, well, okay, if it's going well, we'll stick with Cam. If it's not going well, we'll make the switch. It's an interesting week of preparation. You know, of course, mm-hmm. it all goes out the window if Cam's unavailable to play. It's going to be right. Cole's job from you know today on or Sunday on or whenever they make that decision. Then it'll it'll just be the way it goes. But it, you got to start to ask these questions now. You know, uh, offensively as a whole, what do you got for the herd? I had uh, get back over to it. I had an A on offense and would have been an A plus because of the points we put up and everything except for penalties. Mm -hmm. And uh, that'll be a theme here, but penalties brings it down from an A plus to an A Uh, still really great turnaround from what we've seen the last few weeks on putting points up. Yep. I got him as an A too. And I think it was visibly noticeable that Ali had the zip back. Mm -hmm. He didn't have that last little bit of zip the past couple of weeks, and it was there uh, against uh, Georgia Southern. You know, the 55-yarder was evidence of that because he ran away from the final defenders into the end zone where he was tracked Mm -hmm. down the week before. So that was really nice. That was really nice to see. You know, you got the the yaks from Harris. That was also nice to see. They got a little trickeration there with the direct snap and the reverse to McMillan. They tried the wide receiver pass. It actually worked but didn't work because of penalty. So there was just some, some nice little wrinkles in there. And I'm not sure if this plays into a huge factor. Uh, they say that this happened because it was uh, Cole and he was making his first start, but they had Trickett on the sideline calling the plays. I don't know if that's – uh, how much of a difference that makes, but anything that was different that led to this, uh, the the successes on the field that we saw, I think you might have to just pay a little bit of attention to, even if you don't think it's a big deal, maybe you stick with it until it doesn't work. Right. Because you just ended a five game losing streak and got back on the win column. I don't think it's out of the question to keep everything that worked going forward to the next week. Uh, what about this defense? Defense, I have as a B, and uh, I would love to give them a higher grade. But again, there were penalties. There was that busted coverage uh, for the. I mean, there was nobody within twenty yards of that guy when he got that, and he could have walked mm-hmm. into the end zone. Uh, still, 
I'm not dogging them at all when they played an amazing game and did what we needed to do. And later I'm going to talk about something when we get to the MVP, but uh, I got them as a solid B. So it's a, it's a, it's a B plus for me. And I'll tell you why, even though early on, it was a little bit more back and forth late in the game. Even though Georgia Southern went down the field late and scored a late touchdown, late in the game, they just kept getting stops and giving the ball back mm-hmm. to Marshall to try to make something happen. And for a couple of drives, we weren't able to do it. And then they got one last stop, and I said, all right, something's got to work now. And it was Rasheen Ali, boom, you know. Uh, yeah, they gave up the, you know, the last nine-yard touchdown or whatever was a – you know, they kind of let him walk in, but the one play 55 yard touchdown from the direct snap, that was a stop that got the ball back for the herd after a few other stops where Marshall couldn't do anything. And they went to the direct snap. It went 55 yards and and you get the touchdown and you're like, that is it. That's what we needed. They just did a really, really good job. Now the things you've got to account for. Yeah. You talked about some penalties, but it was the weird penalties. AG McGee getting two penalties on him for simulating the snap count. Mm -hmm. I mean, once. Okay. But you can't do it twice, man. You cannot do that twice (laughs) because after the first time they're listening for it, you know, and, and to get it second time, you just got to cut it out. Uh, You've got uh, some cool things like Owen Porter tackling two guys at the same time, shot out of a cannon to make that tackle for loss. Josh Moten with a weird play where he gets both a horse collar and what was it a face mask and a face horse mask collar. at the on the same call, but really I think the worst penalty of the game came on defense, and unfortunately it led to that Georgia State or Georgia Southern touchdown, a Georgia Southern touchdown. It would have been a field goal. It was just a weird, mm-hmm. weird scenario. You get the roughing the passer on a third and. A third and 10. No, that didn't come on a field goal. Never mind. It came on a third and 10 when you make one more play and you end the game. But it ended yeah. up being that late Georgia Southern touchdown. But the, well, the, uh, the, uh, the weird thing about the, uh, you know, the field goal and then a penalty and they took the points off the board and then they got a conversion and then that led to a touchdown too. That was yeah. also pretty bad. But I don't think it, it wasn't enough to get Georgia Southern to win. And I think that speaks to how well of a game overall this was for the herd. Yeah, there was a one situation. I'm I'm going to get the details wrong, but uh, we got them and stopped them. Uh, maybe they had a penalty and it put them back, and then yeah, we, we turned around, right and got a, gave it right back to them, and it allowed them to convert and all that, and they went on down. And that's one of those things is they just happened at the wrong time. There was automatic first downs. There were extensions of drives and things like that. And that's why I have them at a B. Mm-hmm. But that was one of the best defensive performances you could see with still giving up that many points. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was just uh, – it was great. It, we were pressuring him all night long, Davis Brent. Yeah. We, we just continually brought the pressure. Yeah, I agree, man. It, overall, it was really good, really solid. Just some, just some weird plays and weird penalties. Uh, special teams. <laughs> is there any other grade you can possibly give? But what I, do you got? I got, I got an A plus. I, I know that there was. I'm thinking that we may have had a penalty on the, uh, on one of those. Uh, maybe on one of their punts. Did we get an offsides when they were punting? I, I know we had an offsides that gave them an extra ten yards when we kicked off. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was at the start of the game after we had just ran one back. But I don't care really what happened. They missed a field goal 
because we brought the house. Uh, we took one to the house to open up the game. We made our only field goal attempt that we did. We were um, 100% on our extra points. Uh, at the uh, tail end of the game, the punt to the two, which basically solidifies the game for us. And then at the very, very end, no one touched the ball, but on purpose, no one touched the ball and let that mm-hmm. onside kick go out of bounds. And that that was just heads up as well. Mm-hmm. We did everything we needed to do for special teams. And if you think about it, this is what I was going to say that I was going to talk about in the keys. You talked about the indicators, and they had more uh, yards than us on, on total yards. They had You said they beat us everywhere, and then you said except for special teams. The difference was that opening touchdown – if you don't have that and we stall, if the game played the exact same way, we lose that football game. Mm-hmm. You know, if we don't punt to the two, we could lose that football game. If they catch the onside kick, if they recover it, we could lose that football game. Mm-hmm. Special teams came up absolutely huge. Yeah, that's an understatement. The only argument you can make where Marshall faltered on special teams was in punt return, right? the, the punt return defense, right? Because yeah. Hood was able to gain some yardage, and he had an impact on the game, but we were expecting that coming in. So yeah. to have something we expected happen to happen, that's not surprising. So there's yeah. an absolutely an A-plus effort all the way around. You can't accomplish the things that we accomplished in this game and give it any lower grade. Can't. And that guy's capable of taking it back. Anytime that he touches it. Yep. So we didn't allow that to happen. So, yeah, I agree. What do you got for our coaching staff this week? I got to, uh, got to give them an A. They had everybody ready. They had everybody playing with, uh, heart and passion. Uh, I loved the calls of, uh, the, the trick plays that we ran on offense. Uh, I loved our defensive scheme. I just loved everything about it. They get an A. It's not an A plus just because. Man, I I don't know. It's so hard. Like I said, this is the hardest thing to grade as coaches because we're not hearing what they're calling. We don't see the practice and hear what they're telling the team unless they show it on a broadcast to say, here's what happened in the locker room pregame or halftime. Um, I just don't know really what more to do than an A. Uh, but it could have been an A plus. It could have been an A minus. I'm going to meet in the middle and say, hey. Yeah, I have an A as well, and we do know some things. We do know that there was a a point of emphasis on what this week means to the community, mm-hmm. to the school, to everyone. It's it's not just about the game. We've heard uh, Huff talk about that several times throughout the week, and and we've talked about or we've heard about the the seniors on this team talking about what this one means to those newcomers to the program and those underclassmen on the program. And we know there's a difference. There, there was an absolute difference in preparation this week as far as that goes. Did they do anything different in practice? I don't know. As far as X's and O's, I don't know. There were a few plays that we saw that we hadn't seen before. But the messaging, I think, was what really shoots the grade up. You know, even though we all know how important it is, it was a point of emphasis. This was not one of those, this is just every other game, guys. It's one game at a time. And this is, you got to treat it like every other one because it's not like every other one. And they know that. And they didn't shy away from the fact of saying, this isn't like every other game. I mean, they were up at Spring Hill Cemetery. You know, they had mm-hmm. Coach Gale back there talking. They had Rev up there talking. It, it, <laughs> it's different. 
And and they did an excellent job of proper preparation and messaging this week. It's an A all the way around. What do you got for our fans? Fans, I've got an A as well. And uh, I already mentioned how loud we were when uh, it came uh, came to nineteen thousand and some change doing uh, doing the We Are Marshall chants, the Let's Go Herd chants, uh, the energy and the noise that they brought on third down. I do remember. A couple of false starts. I don't know if it was three, four, but I do know that we got them to to have some false starts. Uh, a couple of times they had to call timeouts. I would like to think that our fans played a huge part in that by being loud. Uh, I also love to see that after a win, we were almost unanimously positive. And that is so refreshing. Mm-hmm. As you know, uh, seeing all the negativity of the last few weeks and things like that, it was a welcome change. So, A for me from the fans. Uh, it, I got it slightly lower. And, and the main reason is because there was a sub 20,000 crowd for 75. Okay, fair. That's fair. Not That's never going to be okay with me. Marshall's absolute basement should always be 20K, particularly on a 75 week game. You know, about the only thing that I can even fathom that being a thing for is a brutally bitter cold final home game of the season. And then I still think you should, you owe it to your seniors to turn out if you can. Right. Mm -hmm. But you're right, man, the positivity um, there were, I was expecting, I don't know exactly what I was expecting, you know, but given who the quarterback was, I just didn't know what I would hear or see. Mm -hmm. And, but it was just overwhelmingly positive. And, And I think everybody just needed that collective exhale to get off of that of, of this losing streak and to get one in the win column and to make bowl eligibility more of a potential reality. I, we just needed it. You know, you used palate cleansing earlier. I like to use the term soul cleansing a lot, and this was a soul cleansing win. Marshall needed it. It's 75 week. You can't lay an egg in this one. You got to go out. And I talked about in the, pre, the uh, preview, like in 2016, when we were a three-win team, we went out and beat the brakes off of Middle Tennessee State. And while we didn't beat the brakes off of Georgia Southern by any stretch of the imagination, we went out and went toe-to-toe with them. We were up for el- every challenge that they threw at us. And we had more fight in us than they had in them. That's a character thing, man. That's a resilience thing. And that's what Marshall's freaking built on as a program. Since 1971, we are built on resilience and fight. And it showed itself this past weekend. And I think that's what really resonated with all the fans and the players and the coaches and everybody. And that's why I said after the game that every, you know, coach, player, admin, faculty member, staff member, student, alum, and fan all earned this win because we all together are the lifeblood of Marshall University. And we all put so much of ourselves into this program and so much of what we put into it is centralized around 75 week. To know you have to go out and get a win and then to go out and get that win, it just says something about the resilience and the makeup of this ball team. I don't care that they're five and five because for one weekend in November, they need to go one and oh. And to win, when you can put in your best performance all the way around of the season and, and give your best performance on all three phases and in the sideline and on the sideline. That means more to most Marshall fans than a, beating a Virginia Tech team ever will. And even though that's fun and you want to do that yeah. and it feels great in the moment, turning in your marquee performance on November 
in November during 75 week will always mean more. And, and that's why, um, you know, this, there needed to be more than 20 K there. That's the yeah. only reason that, that they're getting a B. Every other reason was great. It's an A plus if, yeah, you say, yeah, if 825 more people would have showed up, it's an A performance. And I don't care if you think that's nitpicky, but it is. That's it. Overall, what do you got? Overall, I've got an A plus and it's for everything that you just said about this week and what it means to us and us winning on this. Uh, we ended a five game losing streak. We had a uh, great tailgate uh, beforehand. Uh, people that weren't there just missed out on a great game in person. They missed out on a great atmosphere for tailgating. Uh, missed out on a great day overall. They a sure plus did. all around. They sure did. I want to, I've got them as an A, right? Because uh, there just needed to be more people there. And, and I want to talk about one thing in particular. We've talked about several times, or I've mentioned several times, that it was one of those 75-week plays. And I know that starts to get cliche, but it, it is. They, they occur. They, they really occur. But this year I feel like we saw a drive, a, 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 a particular drive. And on, and on the stat sheet, it's not going to be anything of any great consequence, but I want to go down it with you. At eight minutes and 12 seconds in the fourth quarter, Marshall took over possession on the 17-yard line, their own 17-yard line. They proceeded to put together a nine-play drive that went 39 yards and took four minutes and 52 seconds of game yep. time off the clock. Mm -hmm. It resulted in zero points, no points. But that drive that had no points attached to it absolutely won the game for the herd. Yeah. Um, on the third play of the drive, that's when Rasheen Ali fumbled and Cole Pennington recovered the first fumble. And I'm telling you, when you watch the replay and you see that, you will question how in the hell he was able to get a hold of that ball when it was literally in the hand of the Georgia Southern defender. Then the herd picks up a first down on the next play with a nice pass and a little bit of a run to Brian Robinson. Then Ali goes for 19 yards. Then he subs out. Payne comes in. It's an immediate seven-yard loss. And we're thinking, damn, that kind of sucks. Mm -hmm. Then you fast forward a couple plays, and it's third and 15 from the herd 45. Still haven't crossed midfield yet. It's a pass to Caleb Coombs. It goes for one yard. He's trying to make a play, and the ball comes out again. Second fumble on the on the drive. Second fumble recovery by Cole Pennington. Next play, fourth and 14. John McConnell steps in, and that's the magical punt that goes down and just absorbs into the turf at the two-yard line. I've never seen anything like it. I've seen punts die before. I've seen them take a little bit of a hop and just kind of sit still, but I have never seen a punt do what that one did and land at the two-yard line. Um, the Georgia Southern ensuing possession was stifled, so the herd got the ball back, but it was that four minutes and 52 seconds of game clock to take that down to – under four minutes of time left in the game. That just put it out of reach. It put that game out of reach. We traded touchdowns, as a matter of fact. <laughs> you know, there were two more touchdowns in that final few minutes of the game, but it put it out of reach. If there's more time on the clock, maybe they don't kick an onside kick. You know, maybe they save their timeouts. Maybe they try to get the ball back in on a shorter field. That's a 75-week drive that I think I'll think about for a long time because it, it encapsulates – 
two clutch fumble recoveries, several picked up first downs to keep the clock running, and an unbelievable punt. I mean, I don't know what you want to call that, but that is something that it just will stick in my mind for a long time. Overall, it was an A, and it was amplified by that particular drive that led to no points. Russ, if you got nothing else about 75 week, let's go around the herd. Yeah, so around the herd, we've got uh, start off with cross country. We talked earlier about Abby Herring. That is Saturday morning at the University of Virginia. 10.20 a.m. is when that'll start. Uh, and that is nationals, as we mentioned. Swimming and diving, they'll be in the Purdue Invitational. That's Thursday through Saturday. Volleyball lost to Arkansas State, three sets to nothing and three sets to two. And those were the final two regular season games. They finished the year 12 and 18 overall, four and 12 in the Sun Belt. But that puts them fourth in the East with that four and 12 record. And they will face off against the fifth seeded Western team, Southern Miss, in the second round after uh, a bye, the way that they do that with the number of teams that we have and that is thursday at 8 p.m eastern so if you're looking on uh there uh, where it's in foley alabama they have it at 7 p.m just keep in mind that central time if you want to tune in and watch that uh second round game for our girls in the tournament it's 8 p.m eastern on thursday cool men's basketball they beat queens on monday 89 to 73 very good showing. We can talk about that if you want here in a little bit. Uh, also, this loss to Radford at the Greenbrier on Friday, 66 to 62. We can talk about that one as well. They don't play again until this Sunday, but that kicks off the Cayman Islands Classic Sunday through Tuesday. They will be playing Utah State at 5 p.m. on Sunday. So hmm. you want to talk a little bit about the basketball team so far? Let's do it. I mean, we can, you know, we're we're pretty far removed from some of these games. I would I would just like to say that that game against Queens was was uh, pretty nice. You know, the, obviously you want to start out one and zero, but you start to get a look of maybe what this herd team will look like a little bit, and and who the movers and shakers are in that one. Uh, I, I guess the you know the big things that stand out for you are that there were you know six five five is it five or six five players five in, in, double in double digits figures. and yeah. uh, white fricks also had nine so the scoring was spread out a lot nate martin really just missed a a double double in his herd debut by one rebound he had nine uh, to lead the herd there uh, i remember hearing and seeing that there was shot blocked shots of plenty for the herd yep. so there is a, a little bit more potentially of a defensive presence this year even with han logden being all that he was last year there there looks like that 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 hasn't really fallen off at least through one or two games but i think the wild card is going to the greenbrier and and even though that sounded like a cool idea and i'm glad they did it i mean i watched some of it on uh espn plus when i had an opportunity um and it just looked weird, you know, playing in like an auditorium or whatever because of the low ceiling and everything and and that was a heartbreaker for the herd, you know, to mm. lose it um, on a final inbound play, basically with three seconds to go and to add insult to injury. It was a four point play to basically just put the game out of reach. It was yeah. nothing you could do, but uh, I don't know, man, you know, uh, Nate Martin had the uh, double, double this time around 16 and 11. 
you know, still some good scoring by Kerfman and the usual suspects. Um, you know, Voyles is, is I think, going to be a wild card. Is he going to be a consistent score week in and week out? Or is it going to be more of that uh, Cam Kerfman from from long range and Connor and Fricks type deal? I don't know. The evolution of herd basketball in, in 2023-24 will – I think we'll just we won't know too much about this team until we're several weeks in. You know, yeah. I think it's by the time we hit some belt play, maybe we'll have a better idea. Yeah. And uh, you know, the coach said that the team that you see at the start's not going to be the team that you see at the end of the season. It is going to take a while. We had three key departures from uh, the starting lineup. We right. bring in three transfers. Uh not all of the transfers were starting, but they showed out in the first game what we saw was uh, more of sharing the ball around. Uh, and I'm not saying that the people that left were not sharing the ball. It's just, they were seniors or, you know, had been here for years and years and they were your two main cogs in the offense and they're gone. Um, we were very athletic driving down the court, fast break points, uh, team defense, individual defense, help side blocks. Uh, I saw a lot of good out of what Martin brings to the table. We have needed one of those guys that is just a rebound machine. And that's what he looks like two games in. Um, If anything could sum up the second game, it was just horrible shooting early. It wasn't bad looks. It wasn't bad shots. Things weren't dropping and you're going to have those sometimes. But that was actually a pretty good Radford team. It wasn't that uh, I I even heard somebody say with their uh, projected RPI or whatever, that they would maybe be third in the Sun Belt. Um, So they were a a really good team that we were facing. They hit their shots. They hit a lot of threes. We did not. And, of course – People are just going to go, really, we can't beat Radford. That's where we're at as a program. And you know what? We lost to Queens last year to yeah. start the season. Okay? You just don't know what you're going to have, and it's going to take a little bit of time. So I'm willing to let this team uh, figure out who they are and what works for them. But, you know, by the time you're about a third of the way through the Sun Belt season, if you don't have it figured out by then, okay, then you can worry a little bit. You know, but we knew there was going to be a lot of change. I think it. I always find it to be entertaining when people come into a season and go, "Yeah, you know, it's going to be a, it's going to be a new year. This is we don't know what we have, but I, you know, I'm willing to see what we look like." And then you, uh, two games in, it's like we can't beat Radford. Really, that's where we are as a program. That always kind of makes me laugh. Like you do have to actually have the patience that you say you're going to have. So uh, just. Pump the brakes a little bit, and you know maybe we don't end up where we want to by the end of the year. But hey, maybe we do. But you, give them a chance to get it together, you know. What's yeah. And so, well, so the last thing that I want to say about that is uh, we were down big, and we came back. And it is early in the season, and we didn't score a lot early uh, based on our shooting, and we came back. So that's something that you want to keep track of. We yeah. we came back. All right, so now women's basketball. They lost their opening game against George Mason, 84-77 to on Thursday. Came back and got Kim Caldwell's first win. Beat Chattanooga 79-74 to on Sunday. 
They play Northern Kentucky on Saturday at 2 p.m., and then they will finally get to have their home opener Monday, November the 20th at 6 p.m., and that's against Point Park. Awesome. Uh, I got to talk about this these yeah. couple of games, man, because absolutely the first game against George Mason – uh, I don't think it started out obviously the way they wanted it to. Right. You know, it didn't look like shots were falling for them. George Mason built a massive big lead in the second half, even. I mean, halfway through the third quarter, George Mason had a 20 point lead. It was 56 to 36, and it was, you know, getting in some dire straits there, you know, and it was like, ooh, mm -hmm. what's going on here? Then then with just a just a little over a minute and a half left in the fourth. The herd brought that lead all the way down to 72 to 67. They clawed all the way back to give themselves a puncher's chance to ultimately end up losing by seven. But man, the fight in this team, I tell you, they were they were down early and they did not like just pack it in, you know. And I'm not saying that other former herd teams did that, but uh you got to like that, you know, in your first game of the year, you're down by 20 already midway through the third quarter in the second half and you claw all the way back. Uh, Rashala Scott led the way for the, the lady herd in, in that, uh, opener with 28 points, man, on 50% shooting from the floor. Uh, and, uh, Beeman chipped in 17. Brianna Campbell had, or, I'm sorry, Beeman had 16. Brianna Campbell had 17. It's just the three headed monster maybe early on in this game. So now we might be able to talk about, Man, if the herd can just get that fourth score, <laughs> I think it's coming. I yeah, do. I think it's coming too. But uh, you you talk about showing a little bit of the fight and that we're never out of a game, and then you come mm -hmm. right back against Chattanooga on the road three days later, and you get the win, the first in the uh, Kim Smith uh, Kim Caldwell era. And I don't know if you saw the video after the game. Mm -hmm. with and the water was, <laughs> coming in the locker room and they they doused her man it was it she was got she nice. will, she got one off first though. she did she did <laughs> she got one off first but uh you know the herd was they didn't get down huge 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 in that one I they mean, were they still were down, down and had to come back down by 17 at one point you know that was still in the first half and then they took a lead by the time the uh fourth quarter rolled around and then it was back and forth kind of for the last i don't know say three and a half minutes of the game. And then they finally pulled away 79 to 74. I mean, you, Rashala Scott set a, a new single game scoring record, personal record 31 mm -hmm. in that one. So she's got 28 and 31 uh, off and running, you know, Beeman mm -hmm. 18 in that one, Brianna Campbell 17 in that one. So mm -hmm. even they scored higher than their first game. I mean, pretty good, pretty good. I think uh, folks better turn out for that home opener. You know, because I'm planning uh, on being there with the family. I can't wait to see it. I wish I could be there too, man, because I think it's just going to be really, really exciting. And, um, you know, of course, we'll have we have tickets that we'll be giving away to that. Mm -hmm. But um, I like it, man. I like what I'm seeing out of this herd team. They're going to be a lot of fun. They're going to win a lot of ball games. Well, I'll tell you what I saw uh, on Thursday when I was watching is uh, early. It just seemed like uh, turnovers. It seemed like, uh, kind of trying to get the feel uh, for everything. We scored 22 points by halftime, and it was right. looking like, man, this is not that good. Came out, scored 29 in the third quarter, 26 in the fourth quarter, 55 points in the second half. And if that mm -hmm. doesn't tell you anything, that was bigger than some of our scores from last season in a full game. 
and uh, then to come back by 17 down in this one, it just shows they can score in bunches. And when they put the press on and got it working, uh, they were a rebounding machine. They were a well-passed machine. They were shooting threes, uh, points off the break, everything. When it works, it works great. I think that we're going to see that later once we hit Sunbelt Conference play. We're going to see a more well-oiled machine for a full four quarters. Yeah, if it doesn't start out so rough in that first half of that first game, oh, Marshall's, they dominate. Marshall's a two and O team, right? Yeah. So uh, you're going to have your rough rough spurts in places, and we just had one to start the season, but now it doesn't look like that's much of a thing right now. Like I said, they're going to win a lot of ball games. I hope the cam stays packed, not just for the men, but also the women this year. You don't want to miss it. And we're going to be giving away tickets to men's and women's games. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to keep the we're going to do our best to keep the cam packed. And finally, for Around the Herd, men's soccer. We talked about it uh, during our preview. We had to throw in that they were going to the finals and they were going to face West Virginia. You know, we we didn't want to push that off and talk about two different games. We wanted to go ahead and talk about that. So this game is the only game that we need to cover from last week. They won the Sunbelt Conference Tournament by beating WVU 3-2 to two on Sunday in front of a record 3,151 fans in attendance. Uh, NCAA tournament selection show was earlier today. And no surprise to any of us, we are the number one seed overall. And we play Sunday at home in the NCAAs. We're going to host throughout until it's time to go to the College Cup, which is in Louisville this year. Ooh, Man, so that means there is going to be a wave of Kelly Green making the trip. Yeah, we we just need we need to win to get there to the final four, and then we're talking big time, big time support. Yeah, man, the 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 herd faithful, if and when, will be bolstering that local Louisville economy for the College Cup. We saw what they did several years ago in Cary, North Carolina. I mean, it was a Kelly Green caravan. They basically painted the the Cary green, and that was with UNC in the tournament. You know, Uh, that'll be great, man. What can you say about that Sunbelt Conference Tournament Championship match? That was an all-time great match, and it doesn't – again, I'm saying this – because I have to continually say it. I don't say these things. It's because we were playing West Virginia. That adds a little bit mm-hmm. to it. But mm-hmm. even if they were wearing a different jersey, just the match that went on, the back mm-hmm. and forth, and yeah. the physicality, like all of it, it was just a great, great match overall, man. Mm-hmm. It's exactly what you wanted to see in your conference championship. You know, you don't want to see a snoozer. You don't want to see a blowout. That's not what you were treated to. You were treated to a back and forth match to where somebody finally made one more play than their opponent and it just so happened to be the herd i mean they earned it nothing was given it was earned either one of those teams could have walked out of there hoisting that trophy either one of them chris grassy's substitutions were geez i don't know some of the best like moves probably he's made because off the heels of both of those of two of our goals, they were fresh off of substitutions. Like within mm-hmm. a couple of minutes, the yeah. goals hit the board. So you can't just like look past that. That's not coincidence. You know, that's the genius of Chris Grassley seeing something and wanting to make something happen. You make the call, you make the sub, and boom, within two or three minutes, you're putting a goal on the board. And I'll tell you, 
for me, the greatest moment was uh, Garcia Pasquale's go-ahead goal, right? Obviously, but it was the it was a chip, right? It wasn't this right. laser beam that got past somebody. It was like yeah, this put it right over his head and let it, it bounce was a in. Beautiful, like technique type shot. But it was the celebration afterwards. I don't. I'm sure you saw it, but it really mm. hit me in the in the right spot because he grabbed the jersey and he and he kissed the crest, man. And that meant mm. something to me for some reason. That just meant something to me. And it was like, you know what? This guy was at Coastal last year, mm. and he played against us last year, and he was instrumental in getting a win for Coastal or a draw for Coastal. Draw. It was, it was a win. I mean, a philosophical win. Mm. That was a yeah. win for them. But. And now he plays for us, and it's like I I want to be here. It was, and that made me feel good, man. You know, the like kissing the crest and and the, it was it was cool. It was a cool moment. I'm glad I watched it. I'm glad I was able to watch it. I'm glad you got to go. I'm glad we um, sent a couple of people to the mm -hmm. match. I can't say enough great things about soccer. Yeah, it was uh, it was one of those that final goal where I was expecting a pass over or, you know, a fake of a pass and then a kick. And he didn't, he was just like, you know what? I can just do it myself from here. Beautiful touch mm -hmm. to put it right over top of the head bounced in. I, I saw it from the angle that I was seeing it, which was diagonal. And then seeing all the different replays was from the other side of how high it went and everything. It was just, it was, it was just gorgeous. Uh, we had, uh, several good goals sordo's goal was i thought it was it was great as well um such an awesome atmosphere and i just have to point out yeah it's wvu and yeah it doesn't really matter who it was that match like you said was going to be electric but i think it was one of our posts and you had mentioned that we expected a record crowd and somebody from WVU, well, I know what it was, is when we were doing our ticket contest. Mm -hmm. Someone from WVU said, but how many of those fans will be WVU fans? Well, I have to tell Six. you. <laughs> no, it, I would say that it was closer to the 151 out of the yeah. 3151. Right. You know, and they all sat over in their section as close to the WVU flag as, right. as you could. And uh, there was a, a smattering of you know, one or two here, one or two there over in the reserve sections and stuff. But uh, mainly they were drowned out and they would do a let's go Mountaineers chant. And then that just got our fans to say, nah, let's go herd yeah. and, you know, just drown them right out and everything. But electric atmosphere. Fans were great. Uh, I, Our seats, uh, you know, where they normally are and it's right behind the bench there. Well, I was still behind the bench and even further down. And uh, so we were behind the bench and there was some absolutely epic badgering and trash talk from our fans to the players in a good natured way, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, talking about hair gel and talking about other things and, <laughs> and, and there, you know, nobody, you know, flipping fans off and throwing things at fans, that sort of thing. It was fun fun banter back and forth and you could tell that it really got under the skin of some of their players and there was a female staffer there i don't know maybe she's never been to a soccer match before but she was absolutely appalled and clutching every pearl she theoretically would have had around her uh neck just appalled that that we would say anything you know <laughs> uh, about and i mean it like i said it was clean banter yeah. back and forth and she was yeah. like 
can you believe them? They said to sit down. Wow. You know, I'm, I'm offended. <laughs> and I mean, well, it's almost like she was looking for a sheriff to come and yeah. it's that fan. He, he told us we should sit down. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, be offended because we yeah. played for a championship in our house and, um, there was nothing like it, man. You know, I, I, I saw some people and this isn't directed at any one fan because i saw it from a lot of people so this you know I, I this is not at any one fan i kept seeing herd fans saying they ought to move this game to the joan yeah. no you absolutely do not because yeah. that eliminates that home field advantage yeah. yeah right and and just allows thousands more of your opponent's fans to get in there and even that out plus the playing surfaces are not nearly the same this is dude they're the number one team in the country you let them play in their damn stadium for their damn championship like they have been working for all game or all year long, right? They deserve to be there. That's their house. Can you imagine practicing on that turf? No. Playing on that turf no. all season long, having that of your walking out of your locker room, the routine that you get in and taking away your home field advantage to go play on a different turf that is slope different for drainage. There's a, right. a, a crown on a football field the dimensions wouldn't be the same. They would have a bunch of different lines and graphics on the field. The, the uh, turf is not the same. Mm -mm. Uh, you know, it's a shorter turf on soccer. I mean, it's a kicks, faster field. The kicks would be different. The running would be different. Everything, the spacing, you would basically say, well, I really wanted to go to the game, and that's, that's what why it I is. To be there. That's you all know, it was. Fo more we, people wanted to be able to sit in a seat at that game. We weren't going to be twenty five thousand in there, and it would have yeah. made that feel no just horrible. Yeah. We uh, now I could see going over to the cam and having a watch party for people that couldn't get in. Yeah, I could see things like that. I could see saying, "Hey, let's do a tailgate and uh, have a watch party inside the Jones." you know, mm -hmm. for people that couldn't get over there, but I don't see taking the game over there. You take away every single thing. And I imagine Chris Grassy would have said, uh, no, we you ain't know, going. Yeah, yeah. Immediately. Y'all do that. We'll be down here at the vet playing. Yeah. That's where we'll be. Yeah. But I get it. It is just a lot of folks that wanted to be able to get a seat and then they're just, you know, they weren't able to, but I, that's why I would say, Hey, season tickets aren't that expensive. Buy them. You know, that's why we buy them so that, we can send people to every match at the vet, number one. But when they get into a hosting championship scenario, when they get into hosting NCAA tournament games, we have the ability to buy tickets and we have the ability to give those tickets away and send fans to games. So on that note, uh, we should be getting ticket info. And I imagine that the Thundercast will try to secure some seats to the NCAA tournament games since, yep. you know, that's what we do for herd fans. So be on the lookout for that. We don't know when that announcement will come. I imagine it'll come pretty short order if the games are coming up pretty soon. So um, don't expect much like the tournament championship. If you want to go, you better be ready uh, when the tickets go on sale, because I imagine it will be pretty much an instant sellout. Mm -hmm. just like the tournament championship game was because there are a lot of season ticket holders that will uh, buy their seats. And if there are any left over, there will be people that just snatch them up immediately. So if you want to go, you better be fast. Yeah. So uh, just again, we are going to be playing on Sunday and that's against San Diego and California Baptist. They play on Thursday. So we'll know Thursday night who we're going to be playing. And, uh, I think the time will be set 
later on. I don't think it's set yet, but it'll yeah. be set this week. But Sunday, you're going to need to get your tickets. Get ready, man. Get ready. We'll, we'll have another giveaway, right? Obviously. Mm-hmm. So just be one on final, the lookout for that. One final thing that I wanted to say about that game is we were number one in the nation coming into there, and West Virginia was number five in the nation. That's like a big-time college football, maybe the SEC championship, the Big Ten championship. That's like a Michigan-Ohio State or a Georgia-Alabama kind of yep. game that was going on there on Sunday. Uh, in front of a sellout plus crowd standing room only packed in as much as the uh, fire marshal would allow. So yeah, I'd like, a, to no- like to note that uh, that was what? 75 people <laughs> larger than the previous capacity. 76, 76. 76. Okay. Yeah. Dang. What, a, what an awesome, what an awesome thing. And that's a great analogy. You know, that was, that was very much like your your SEC championship that determined college football playoff seeding. This mm-hmm. one did too. You know, it would have been very much up in the air if Marshall gets a number one overall seed if they lose that game, and they don't. And now they're the number one overall seed. Not surprised. West, West Virginia is the fifth seed uh, in in here. You know, they seed everybody, and they were the runner up. And if I have gone through over the past day or two. Uh, a lot of it last night, looking at the previous seedings and rankings and everything. And uh, for the Sun Belt Conference to have two of the top five seeds, that's great. Now, the ACC yeah. still looks uh, top to bottom the best. Uh, the best, Most represented? Yeah, not just that, but their rankings coming into this, uh, this final week, mm-hmm. they had, I think, nine of the top 29. And, you know, we had uh, five of the top 37, I think yeah. it was. Well, I'm, but, I'm looking over the, the bracket real fast. I, I found mm-hmm. the graphic. We've got five. Five Sunbelt teams made the bracket. Yeah. So that's pretty good. James Madison and, and uh, Kentucky, Kentucky both did, did not get a seed. They're right. At large. They, at large. But they, uh, we got five in. The ACC has a lot of teams in. But it yeah. doesn't matter. It's all about the herd. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for Around the Herd. Awesome. I got nothing else, man. This was a great episode. I mean, golly, we had so much cool stuff. Abby Herring, the football team, the soccer team, Kim Stevens getting her first win. I mean, geez, what a great weekend. I'm glad we were a big part of it. I got to say one last thing. We sent, we gave away our four tickets to the Georgia Southern game to the 75 week, and we had a fan reach out to us and say, hey, I got two extra tickets. Would you like to give those away? And we said, absolutely, we would. So special shout out to the fans that continually keep contacting us and saying, hey, I can't go to the game. I've got extra tickets. Would you guys like to give them mm-hmm. away for us? Because we always love doing that. Mm-hmm. We are we were able to send six people to the game. Eleven. Don't Eleven forget. people. Don't forget Brad oh, Arvin. Brad, Ir- yeah, that's Brad right. Gave, Brad gave us five tickets earlier the last time wow. he was in. He said, here's my physical tickets. I won't be able to go to that game. want to give them to you early. Well, we found uh, five fans to uh, send to that, and uh, we sent 11 people to that game yeah. in addition to our own that I, I go with my, my tickets that I have. Yeah, 11 tickets given away. That's awesome, man. So what a, what, a great, what a great weekend it was. Just be on the lookout. It will be a quick turnaround for all these giveaways. We've got a flurry of them. We're going to have to give away women's basketball tickets. The the soccer tournament tickets are going to be quick. And I mm-hmm. imagine there's going to be a lot of uh, uh, popularity around that 
giveaway because the SBC Tournament Championship had a lot of popularity around that. So just be on the lookout. You you sleep and you might miss it. Russ, yep. take us out of here. Whether you see us at the Joan, whether you see us at the Cam, or whether you see us at the NCAA Tournament starting Sunday at the Vet, no matter where you see us, we're going to be saying, go herd. Go herd. Bowl eligibility starts now. The quest, the road to Louisville starts now. The quest. It's the Thundercast. We'll see you later this week.